Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today's show is a continuation in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with, now I got corrected last week, 49 years of experience <laughs> helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. And boy, aren't we going through that yes, ourselves. we are, and we're dealing with so many. But, I, you know, I just got off, I, I just was walking past a room, and they were listening to the last episode. Oh, really? And I had a chance to stop. I had Did more you time recognize than, your voice? Sometimes you have trouble recognizing uh, it. I too. could hear him. Well, I heard it, how it's the, the beginnings. But it made me sit down and listen. And I got to tell you, I was touched. Not because of uh, how special we are in, in any sense, that we're, although you are. You do a great job. But the, I have never heard a radio show or a podcast that talks about this in such down to earth terms. And relevant terms. What's well, you doing a great, great job? Thank you. Well, I'll tell you why I'm doing a great job because I'm going through it too. Not only are we helping others, um, I'm going through it. Yeah. And when I listened to it, it was so. I had just gone through a very difficult weekend with Lynn, and uh, and and uh, it just broke my heart. But you know, it was interesting. But I listened to that, and it was exactly what people go through. Mm. when they are helping and are a caregiver for a loved one and watching them, you know, deal with such serious illness and how distressing it is. And I sat there and I knew as a listener that this was exactly what happens. Yes. And it's exactly what I, I'm glad I listened. I'll be honest with you. I knew, of course, I knew what we were talking about, but to live it makes it so much more relevant and human. So, uh, I was touched. I also realized that my preparation was a continuation of last week's. I think that's a good idea, yeah. actually. Well, good, because <laughs> I was saying, I hope I'm not going to be redundant, but I thought this was so darn important that I want to bring up even more about it. But last week's title was... Healing Warriors. Yes, and how to, get back, how to stay on your feet emotionally and every other way under duress. Boy, are we talking duress. Yeah. Um, one of the things that strikes me, and we're, we're running into a lot of caregivers and caregiver situations, family caregivers, then there's the more professional caregivers. Uh, we're seeing a lot of variations. We're seeing the, the, the good parts. We're also seeing where things fall apart. We know why. You know, that's that's been the area of our experience for a long time. But what it really astonishes me is how caregivers think that they can do this by by the seat of their pants. This is one hell of a hard job. And there's such distress to it that they are dealing with every day. There are certain cultures, and we've learned this, we're learning it more all the time, that really embrace in many ways helping the sick and the elderly. And Absolutely, yes. Nearly. Fijians, Haitians. It's a Haitian. tradition, a value that they carry deeply. Really. And I, I recognize that. I'm not saying they're all like that, but are we finding out that that is not the truth? But the culture seem to do that. It's not enough. That's what we are seeing. That, yes, culturally, uh, it's encouraged. But what we are seeing is that these people are so poorly prepared 
to cope with themselves under this kind of duress. And we're seeing what happens. Burnout is got to be the single most uh, undermining thing that, that happens to caregivers. Yes. It's so painful. And for some reason, some of these cultures, I think, they may think well, we're strong and we're supposed to handle it. We can handle it. They forget that they're human. And uh, I think we were interviewing a couple of them last week. Was it last week? It's been maybe a couple of weeks ago, yeah. but yes. And one lovely lady, Fijian lady, she, she was a lovely lady, had come to be interviewed, and we were going to set her up with helping someone. And the person she's been taking care of for three years just died on Thursday. She, we saw her Monday. Yes. And I said, hey, that is a big hit. And she says, I'm strong. She was also a very fine woman. But you know what? I looked at her and I said, you haven't even taken any time to grieve. And I could see her facial expressions and everything just change on the spot. What I realize is that these people are not, and I don't mean just Fijians. No. I don't mind. Don't, I'm not being ethnocentric. A lot of people who are caregivers don't pay attention to certain things they have to learn to be responsible for. Um, as professionals, I know I had a lot of training, a lot of mentoring, a lot of work when I was a psychotherapist for many years on the kind of work and trauma work we've done. We read, wrote a book about it. We've written many papers about it that were leading papers. But to be honest with you, uh, I took there was a lot of training, a lot of mentoring involved in this thing. And I needed every second of it because the, the, the level of stress was so has been so enormous. We're still, I don't do the psychotherapy anymore, but we certainly do trauma recovery. And we use a, a very effective, intensive uh, form of body work that works beautifully, uh, but it takes a toll on the practitioners. And I remember uh, many of the men who trained with you all those years ago did not take in what you took in because they couldn't continue in their career. The stresses and the burdens of it took them away from it. Ultimately, I, I think that's true. I haven't, but I, it seems like that is true. Or at least that happened to at least some of them. That yeah, became... and I think well, a couple of them died. Actually, actually, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, they were good work. They work hard. Yeah. But <laughs> I brought a different attitude. I came from a completely different world than academia. Um, although by that time I was getting my PhD, but really I came from a very, a, a real macho type, strong world attitude. Well, be honest with you, I applied it in this work, and it carried me to a point. Yeah. I also knew I needed mentors. I was too young to handle the the burdens and the and the uh, emotional overload that I was carrying. But I did have excellent mentoring, and without it, I never would have been as successful as I was. Uh, and I, I appreciate it to this day. By the way, I carry that deep in my heart for those very special people that were my mentors. Yeah. But here's I'm sitting here watching caregivers now, and I'm going, something is there. This is not a profession that is being lifted up as important. I find it to be essential, and that it needs as much support and mentoring and uh, training as possible. And I don't mean in the beginning. I mean ongoing, mm -hmm. because the demands of the job are so enormous. The level of stress and distress is so huge. Of course, depending on the situation, but most of the caregivers we know are dealing with very, very 
tra traumatizing kinds of distressing caregiving, uh, uh, taking care of folks that are in yeah. bad shape. Yeah. Um, and it's t it takes a toll. I think we're the shorthand for kind of what we're talking about. We've said this many times, and that is that caregivers can shortchange themselves mm -hmm. in self-care. And they come in with the best of intentions, with the value, uh, like you talked about in the Fijian community, the Haitian community, other communities mm -hmm. where, where caring for the elderly is love for family and all the generations. It's, it's more, um, more deeply connected with, and yet we're seeing the ways that the priority of taking care, the caregiver taking care of themselves is still lacking. Very much so. And, you know, we're talking about a couple of cultures that put our, there's a lot of these folks coming over and, and, and taking on caregiving positions. But there's plenty of people from the United States that are facing this too. It's Yes, it's every, I think the majority of caregivers struggle with taking care of themselves. It's that's a huge ex struggle. That's exactly right. And I don't think there's been such an emphasis like there are in other cultures on caregiving in the United States as there have uh, as there is in other countries. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. Uh, I've, I've known wonderful caregivers that are from America. They're beautiful. Great job. Jenny's one of them. Uh, but we we have a whole staff, and we only have one per. Uh, Maritha is the only one, right, from Fiji. That's right now. Yes. Yeah. So out of five, that's one. But every one of them is is wonderful part of a team, and they do remarkable work. I learn from them all the time. Um, but yeah. we work as a team, and we design this off of the kind of work we've done before we were caregivers for many years um, on how to be effective uh, in, in dealing with trauma, how to deal with recovery, how to deal with very serious situations. So we carried it over. Now, to a degree, it's been a it's a great model. On a personal level, I never could have been prepared for what I'm facing now in my own personal life, and I can't lie about it. But I do have the tools. I, that's the one thing I do have. You brought to, those from your training. Absolutely, and they get me through. I'm also very very aware of the of the early warning signs of triggering. I'm also well aware of my where I am emotionally. I know myself well, um, and I can see the red flags plenty. But that's because I've had 40, almost 49, almost 50 years of experience. But this is different because this is my heartfelt, my soulmate. Um, and here I am loving her and taking care of her and doing everything I can and realizing there's only so much I can do. And she's slipping away anyway. She's an amazingly courageous woman. She is. Uh, she's a testimonial even in the state of... Uh, she is uh, in her battle with her health now. She's amazing. Uh, she has a level of determination without being hard. She has a level of, of being appreciative and uh, uh, grateful that's astounding under the circumstances and all the capacities that she's already lost. But the truth is, my heart's breaking. Mm -hmm. And I tell, help, we help a lot of other people, but nothing compares to how I feel about my wife. And I see what I go through in 
making sure she's taken care of, giving her everything she needs to to be safe and to be supported and loved and cared for. She has, she has it all, and yet it's not enough. I wish I could do more. My sense of being able to control situations and help people heal, well, this one has really put me up against that. And uh, the grief I feel is very intense, and the heartbreak, there's no denying it. I wish I could do more, and uh, I'll, I'll be here till her last breath. Um, but I also am aware of what people go through. Now, yeah. we're talking about professional caregivers. We're also talking about family members. Family, that, loved ones caring for them. That their, they don't have a yeah. choice. Yeah. And they go into this with doing everything they can, and just like I did, and not realizing the tremendous impact of uh, this work. Mm-hmm. So I want to lift up the profession and the position of caregiving much higher than it's been. Yes. It needs a level of recognition. It needs a level of mentoring coaching support Support. that it doesn't have yes and i want to well we want to be part of that but in the meantime there are things that folks need to begin to pay attention to Um, we know about it we see it we'll get back to it after the break we'll start talking about it let's do that okay you've been listening to the survivor's guide to life on kpca petaluma 103.3 fm we'll be back after a short break Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And Peter, we got started today by talking again about this very important topic of caregiving and the stresses that it places on the caregiver. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the if that aren't addressed can lead to burnout, resentment, um, health issues. And uh, we you spoke about your experience, Mm -hmm. your training, Mm -hmm. uh, the challenge of being a caregiver for your wife, your Mm -hmm. loved one, Mm -hmm. and um, bringing together all of these threads from from your personal, from your professional lives into this experience that you're having right now that is real and, and, and important. How can we reach out now? We said before the break that we're gonna talk about ways people can approach caregiving Mm -hmm in a way that preserves themselves and allows them to continue to give care. Okay. The first the, the first thing you, that you said that's up, self-care is the number one most important thing for a caregiver to remain resilient. We've done a lot of talks. We've done a lot of shows on resilience. And we, 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 one of the things we've established by talking about resilience is it doesn't mean you're not going to go through the difficulties and the emotional upheavals and all we've gone through this so many times. Yeah, you are, you do. We're it human. doesn't mean you just sort of wave it goodbye, leave it behind, and and you keep going. That's not it. That's not it. And uh, what we talk about is is to face the challenges that we have, but also to know it's going to put us through a lot as we face them, and that we can grow and deepen and become stronger and more resilient. But we are going to feel a lot of our own emotional states. Now, one of the things that I learned as a psychotherapist for many years was becoming more clear 
about what, where my own emotional balance was, where I was as a person. So I just want to point out you're using the words emotional balance, and that's yeah. we're going to talk about that. That's kind of a key thought. It's very important to know where you are, and you got to know about yourself. You've got to have that kind of consciousness. Now, you could say, well, that's an indulgence. We don't have time for it. We've got to take care of the people in front of us, which is absolutely true. But to ignore this other part is a setup for big trouble. You could almost liken it to an emotional emotional temperature. Like if you take your temperature to see if you're sick or if you have a fever or you're too cold, this is like taking your emotional temperature. It's where are you? Are you in balance? What does balance feel like? It's an awareness of what's going on. Yeah, and it's it's not it's not as simple as that. Um, but you really have to know more about yourself. You got to know there's certain aspects to this work that it draw, it challenges right out of you. It brings it right to the surface. There's the emotional. There's the psychological. There's the spiritual. There's the physical and biological. They all interplay. And what astounds me after all the years we've been doing this, what really astounds me is when you're under emotional distress. I know I have a, a, a torn I, on a horse. I tore a hip, and it's healing. But there's nerve damage. And you know what's amazing? When they get it worked on, it's the pain that I'm going through isn't the physical damage that's healed. It's the emotional burden that I'm carrying about, particularly Lynn and, our, and other people who are helping. It's, it focuses right in on that area of damage. And when they begin to really release it, what do you think comes up? Not that I'm not relieved from the pain, but the emotion the grief, the sorrow, the, the the sadness, whatever it may be, it's right there. Mm -hmm. I've talked to enough people. I should know this by now after all these years. I've treated thousands of people. It still amazes me mm -hmm. that you can't separate the emotions and, and the body. And the biology. body. No, they yes. really work together. So well, what's an amazing part of that, and this is what this is one of the things that caregivers have to pay attention to is this work takes so much out of you, all of us, that it begins to affect us physically and biologically. We can't just ignore that and think it's not going to catch up to us. The statistics are scary. I still, I, I, I believe them now, whereas I was, a, I was cynical before, I believe them. And I think it's just short of 65%, I may be a little off by a percent or so, of the caregivers die before the people are taken care of. Yeah, We've had that direct experience with uh, folks that we know. Yes. We never would have imagined. One of the things that we learned later is the caregivers were ignoring their own physical health. We were just reading about that this morning. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it made complete, I mean, we, it, it under, we understand it that, the caregivers will postpone taking care of their own health, postpone making appointments, taking tests, mm -hmm. because they want to focus on the care of the person. Yes. And they put themselves aside, and, and then their health breaks down. And we, we've attended too many memorial services, finding out later that these things were going on and were not being attended to, and the doctors warned the caregivers. Yeah. They said they had to take care of my husband. He's, in, he's had a stroke or yeah. much more important. Well, he wasn't. And the last one we know about, Harold lived another two and a half years. Yes. And his wife looked a whole lot healthier than he did. But it turned out she had some very serious medical issues that could have been treated. They were treatable. And she didn't do it. She didn't speak a word to anyone. No. And she was one 
incredible woman. Yeah. I, I miss her, love her. But, and I know Harold missed her. And oh, that, yeah. he misses her. He's heartbroken. Yeah, and I know he's just passed away recently. But we've seen that in the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. That's not the only one. Mm-hmm. We've seen probably four or five. It's the truth. The statistics are accurate. Why? Because the things that we're talking about have a direct effect on our physical health. The emotional distress absolutely affects our physical health. Yes. And one of the ways that that happens is if we are not tuned into our emotional states and it's accumulating and building and stacking, let's say you're carrying resentments, let's say you're carrying anger and bitterness or distresses from your own personal life Mm -hmm. and you don't do anything about it and you don't know how to, eventually that interacts with the burdens and the distress of the person you're taking care of and all that that entails. You put the two together and you have a lethal overload on the automatic and autonomic, they call it autonomic nervous system, but automatic. Um, it puts it on a hyper alert, I know, because I'm one of those people that goes, the, I'm in it anyway. Um, and instead of, we have, we have the a system there that tells us when we can let down, don't have to be on hyper alert, we can relax, right? Well, once after a while, your system gets stuck on the other side. Right. And that side stays in uh, hyper alert. We talked about last week, this is that cortisol influence. Cortisol influence is the hormone that just shoots right up and stays on a high level, which it's not supposed to. Eventually, people, their systems burn out. Yes. And they get some very serious illnesses because they've taken on the stress of others as well as their own. And they interact to the point where they will get migraines. They'll get cardiovascular problems. They'll get strokes. They'll get digestive problems that are very serious. Um, God, I can see there's so many. Terrible migraine headaches, I know that's a common one. That usually has to do with rage, by the way. Yes, yes. Uh, um, but it's because their system is stuck in hyper alert. Yes. And it doesn't let go of the energy that that holds. And it takes a lot of energy to stay in that. It's supposed to, but it's not supposed to stay there. Mm-hmm. And you get a form of post-traumatic stress where we don't let go after the event and our system stays like it's ready for battle all the time. And that has everything to do with your body. I just want to point this That's out. That's the biology. That of, is the body. That is the body, and you have to tune into your body. You've got to know what it feels like with being in some of these emotional states. For an example, I tend to be a very um, aggressive type person, um, and it was part of my upbringing for sure. It was survival. But my tuning has always been very aggressive. I was always a uh, strong-willed determined. Um, I fought down a lot of threatening life situations, some of them very dangerous. But that was the culture I grew up in. But there was a tuning that I had to. My father had that. He was a very aggressive military type. Um, I discovered my mother was also, she's 93 and she's also now getting serious dementia, but she hasn't had it up until a few weeks ago. Amazing. A very strong woman. Yes. And they always encouraged me to be strong. Uh, And I am. But here's the problem. When you're geared that way, you're ready to take on the battle. Your whole body is geared to for fight, or, and not for flight, but for fight. For fight. Aggressiveness. Yeah. Well, that doesn't exactly put you in a, a more receptive state. Your mind isn't at peace. Your body's tight. You're watching things all the time. Now, you transpose that onto caregiving. 
let me tell you what it's like at night because I'm the one who takes over after work yeah. at night. Yeah. I barely sleep. Why? It's not that my wife isn't sleeping. I am on hyper alert for anything that goes on with her. And that's not a healthy thing to do, and yet that's the kind of tuning I have at this point. Mm -hmm. It's not a great thing to be because there's no room for rest and peace. No, that that is, a, a, your self-care is not really where I wish it were at that point. No. Because you're not getting as much sleep as Absolutely. you Absolutely, and that concerns me too. But, you know, I could talk to myself till I'm blue in the face, but that's who it's I am. It's not logical. It's not reasonable. No. You can't talk yourself out no. of that. But, and that's right. That's the other part of it. I know that. And um, for all the years of work I did, it was one of the reasons I changed my PhD because I realized there was such a strong physical, biological component at that point to mental health that I was f seeking um, for myself. Um, that I realize if I don't deal with that and I don't learn what this is about, nothing's going to work. And you can't counsel people after a point because it doesn't hold. Yeah. Because the underlying tuning, the underlying sensitivities that are highly stimulated or stuck in old memories and old traumas doesn't go away. You can't counsel people out of old trauma. No. No. But what you can do is diffuse it in the body. You can begin to get rid of it and get rid of the impact of it. So your automatic reactions go back to self-regulation and being normal. Now, it may not stay that way if you've had a lot of trauma in your life. But I want to tell you what it feels like when you get done each time you get rid of it. It's like you're restored and renewed and you're ready to take on the world again. Yes. And I don't mean like I do. I don't mean like a fighter. <laughs> not the But I meant version. like going back into the... Going back into the... Uh, into the world with a refreshed outlook. Yeah. And um, and the kind of work that we're doing now, that's crucial. Because as a care worker, we need our breaks. We need our respite breaks. But you're going to have to go back and face the situations as difficult as they are. Now, you need to get that body, that biology cleared up. you got to know what it feels like when you're starting to accumulate too much charge and too much... Uh, well, I call it, for me, it's, I get tight mm -hmm. and I feel the pain uh, physically. And when you begin to know that you're doing that, I, I have the tools in my, in my repertoire for my life experience and for being a therapist for so long to be able to get rid of it, to discharge it. And I, I make sure everybody who works with us does that because we have to go back to the front lines. That's where we live. And if not, if we don't do it, we're going to burn out. And believe me, by the time I get to my time of letting down, I could see myself burned out and burning out, but I don't let that happen. I don't let any of our staff let that happen. The other thing happens, too, is that if burnout, but also that that what we bring starts to affect the person we're caring for. Uh, that's To me, I would say, unselfishly, I can speak now, I'm more concerned about my effect on the people I care about, almost than I care about myself. I know that doesn't sound right, but I don't want to hurt anybody. Yeah. I don't. I want to be a nurturing, compassionate, loving, care, caring person. Do I know the other side of myself? Oh yeah, and I know that that could affect people who are very vulnerable, who are sick, who are distressed. Um, I don't want any of that of my stuff affecting them. I want to make sure that I'm able to nurture and nourish our relationship. I know 
the physiology and the biology of what compassion is and how that feels in the body. It's so different. It's a sweeter state. It's a state of receptivity, a quiet mind, a softness, a nourishment, a nurturing, a calmness, an open-heartedness. And that's the bio there's the biology and energy of that too. That's the one that we always are going after because we need that to carry on our work. Right. But after doing the work for a while, and I don't mean long extended periods, we begin to accumulate old material, either ours or theirs, and hold it. And that's what causes the distress. And what and what you're talking about is the having integrity as a caregiver. Yes. That what you carry with you, you're not going to uh, have anyone you're caring for suffer through any of that. And let's come back to that. Yeah, I want to talk about integrity is a good one to talk about. Yeah. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And Steve, our producer, uh, just gave us some information that he, that he found. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about the statistics of how many caregivers actually uh, die before the people they're caring for. Mm-hmm. He, he said that this is, this is heartbreaking. 70% of caregivers who are over 70 die before the person they're caring for. Yeah. That's a hard one. See, to me, that hits right. That hits home, not just because of age, because I know it's got to be true. Yes. And it's it's a big number. And now there are more people in that age. It's growing exponentially. And it will grow even yes. It is. And that's the age. That's the age of those we're taking care of and the caregivers in the seventies. Yeah. The the baby boomers. There we are. Right. So. So let's let's just briefly say that before the break we were just um, had been go- talking about and hopefully making very clear the connection between uh, stress and the body, mm-hmm. caregiving stress, personal stress, um, depletion, uh, burnout. All of this can affect the body physically, biologically. It all goes together. We talked about examples of migraines, digestive upsets, cardiovascular, um, cardiovascular strokes, strokes. All of those things are direct, can be directly linked to the stress of caregiving and not using sufficient self-care. And just to throw in, just before the break, we talked about um, you shared from your heart so clearly mm-hmm. your commitment to caring for Lynn and the other people in your life that you care for without inflicting any of your pain and distress on them. That's and right. we talked about how that would be part of the integrity that a caregiver should have, could have. Needs to have. Needs to have. And integrity can mean a lot of things. Um, but I think one of the things we've run up against lately with interviewing caregivers, not everybody has integrity. They have reactivity. And when they're stressed out, they begin to do things that are destructive. They call it acting out. And we have seen it. Uh, We were called in an emergency situation a couple of weeks ago, and the caregiver was 
irate, angry, frustrated, neglectful of a fellow that was a quadriplegic, leaving him in his own defecation and just neglecting him and being resentful. And the fellow he helped, was he was desperate. He was scared and yeah, dependent. he was. And when I heard about it, the other part of my aggressiveness is I know how to be a really good advocate for people who are hurting and difficult and having tough times. And I can move in very quickly. We did. Yes. And I said, that's absolutely unacceptable. He's burned out. Then I heard the workload the guy worked on for, for extended period It would time. be hard for him not to be in burnout. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. The expectations of that particular care system are really uh, a hard row, uphill road to stay clear and resilient. Yeah, it's unrealistic. Um, and it was one person working 24-7. Yeah. With a very, no. And you know what we're hearing? There's plenty of those. Maybe the other cultures accept that. We don't, and I don't. Um, we work in teams for a darn good reason. We want to prevent the burnout because we want to keep the relationship of very distressed people who are sick and dying and fighting for their life. We want it to be a nurturing, nourishing, compassionate relationship with all the hard work that's involved. For both people. For both. It's got to be mutual, reciprocal. Absolutely. Yes. Um, it's easy for that balance uh, to get out of kilter. Um well, we saw this with this fellow, and, and you know, I didn't have compassion for his the way he acted, uh, and how he was treating this fellow who was so helpless. That, yeah. But part of me was saying, no wonder who Can wouldn't understand. Get to, yeah. Who wouldn't get to be that? But there's a we were talking about integrity and getting back to that, and we've run into some people that we um, love, and but the the word integrity can mean a lot of things, and that is. When people are emotionally overwhelmed, and we talked about this with resilience, those emotions can take over. And they can bring up old reactions that weren't good in the, in the past and they're not good now. And we saw that with some folks that we love, actually a couple of our team members. We saw that, uh, we've seen that this recently in um, the reactivity and the emotions coming up around finances. Yes. And yeah. that driving... Uh, uh, approach you mentioned that earlier, need, and we respect people needing mm. to earn money. Absolutely, but um, to put that ahead of some self care is still going to lead to problems. Big problems. We under I can understand it though, but it's not okay. Um, <clears throat> we interviewed a couple of very fine people, and I knew money was very important. It wasn't like massive wealth. No, they're surviving. Um, it's not a highly paid profession, although they could do very well. They work a lot of hours. But the truth of the matter is, the people we saw, I don't care how much they needed the money. They weren't going to make it. And one of the ladies was older, a wonderful lady. This is one of the kind that could die. She definitely was fragile and um, grieving, and then she was ready to rush right back into another case. And not, we didn't think it was a good idea at all. Um, we hoped that she didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, we thought she had the integrity. We did. Mm -hmm. uh, we have others that uh, things come up and they don't even know they're doing it and they begin to react in a negative way and they don't seem to have integrity. They begin to react like they want, you could feel it. They want to get out. They want to run away. Mm -hmm. uh, and they don't care who it affects. I've seen too much of that one in the caregiving world. Well, the folks that don't have integrity, there's nothing to draw upon. They're going to go by the reactivity to their emotional state. There's others, and we have a couple of teammates, really good people, they do have, but we have to, I do, 
Jenny is not the heavy hitter. It's Peter. <laughs> not the heavy hitter. Um, no, and I don't mean I'm mean. But I, I if we're good foot, cop, bad cop, we know who's who. Yeah. And I do put my foot down. I go, wait a minute. I understand what you're feeling, but your actions aren't acceptable. Look at you're affecting the people taking care of you. You're affecting your teammates. And then we bring the whole team together and let them speak up. And I don't mean meanly. We don't have mean teams. No. Not cruel and punishing. But, hey, you you decide that you well, out of nowhere you're going to go and you have other personal problems and you're not aware of how they're weighing on you. And, boom, you're ready to go. It affects everybody. And these are, I'm talking about good people. These are good people. But there is an integrity. I'm thinking of one woman especially. It's in there. We just have to reach inside and get to the good part when she's feeling so emotional and so yeah, overwhelmed. she's gotten out of that emotional balance, and she's not connected with what's going That's on. That's right, and she's a smart, good woman. This is really good woman. Here's the thing. It can happen to anybody. And it does happen. It At does. one time or another to every care. I believe it happens to every caregiver. That's right. And probably more than one. Yeah, probably, yeah. But the, the balance is what we have to be aware of. How, does, how do we know about balance? you got to know yourself. You've got to recognize, whoops, excuse me, I just hit my microphone. Um, you got to recognize your history and how it's affected you, what you carry with it, the traumas of the past, your memories are in your body, how it affects you. If how your those, body feels. How your body feels. If those things are stimulated, how do you begin to react? Um, can it interfere and contaminate the present? Absolutely. It's, it's a form of post-traumatic stress, and that's one of our that was an expertise. It still is. But it, you can't allow it to have the run of the house because things get very destructive very quickly. I see a lot of caregivers don't know a thing about any of this, and they have to. Yes. They've got to learn about this. They've got to know themselves better. They've got to have help, really seek help out and mentoring on how to work this stuff through not to go to the negative reactivity and to go back to a compassionate, loving, nurturing place as quickly as possible. But they need help. Mm -hmm. And if they're used to just doing it their way or that this has never been anything that's been part of their awareness or consciousness culturally or personally, things have got to change. That's what we're here for today, to tell you it is time for you all to wake up. This You're human. <laughs> And no matter what you come from culturally, no matter family, whatever, you've got to know who you are, what goes into who you are, what you're carrying, what burdens are uh, inside of you. Um, and when they're stimulated and you're under a lot of stress, by giving all the time, eventually the resentments are going to start building. The reactivity is coming. And it may be quite destructive. And let me point out... Um this isn't how we do things. Um, like you said, we use a team, mm -hmm. and we are always um, uh, working with each other, talking with each other. There are many, and I almost think the majority of caregiving situations, there isn't a team or supervision. It might be a caregiver one-on-one -on -one with the person receiving care, and there's really, at that moment, no one else around. And so there isn't a help helpful feedback, accountability, um, perspective available for caregivers who are taking on all these burdens and stressed. Well, you know, one, I can speak from my experience this weekend. Um, I met a, a number of caregivers, and what really astonished me, how angry they all looked. 
And I looked at them and go, I wouldn't hire any of these. And one of our people we care about hired two. And I looked at both and went, not okay. Now, I'm not the boss and I don't have control. But I looked at them and they both were so angry. Yeah. It wouldn't have taken much to push them over the edge from what I saw. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing that too much. And I'm going, this is going to be a booming profession. This is going to be, the population is aging, so the families are going to be burdened. We're going to need extra caregivers. We're caregivers. We're going to have to deal with ourselves, and our caregivers are going to have to deal with themselves. We're raising their consciousness right now that it's a wake-up call. Don't let yourself burn out, but can you get there? I can get there. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I'll tell you the truth. If I didn't know myself as well as I do, I reached a point where I was so exhausted and so heartbroken over what was happening. My emotions were just raw. I also knew how to deal with them. I knew how to take a little time for myself to take care of them. Yeah. And it didn't mean I was cured. <laughs> it just meant get rid of this burden because it's going to affect everything else. In fact, it's going to affect my health. And yeah. that made me, that scared me. Yeah. So the the other aspect of this, I just want to throw this in, is that when for a professional caregiver, and in no way am I saying anything positive about this, but a professional caregiver, when they get angry and burned out, they can leave that job, and um, without resolving anything. Like I said, that that's I'm not saying that's okay, but I'm the thing I want to point out is that when you are caring for a loved one, that's right, and you are not on top of yourself and can't work through things and build up to anger and burnout, you're going to have such regrets, mm -hmm. such regrets. Yeah. And and you, you can't walk away without regrets. You can't be reactive on the person you love and care for without regrets. The motivation to take care of this, you've got to hang on to that. I, I don't know when our break time's coming, but I can... Is it now? Oh, it's now. It's now. It's okay, now. we're going to take a break. Cause got, I've lost track. Yeah. We're, That's this, not good. No, it is good. <laughs> but you know what? We, I, I keep this in mind what I wanted to talk about because family caregivers yes. and what can happen to them. Let's but hold go, that thought. Let's ahead. hold that thought. Uh, you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And before our break, we were talking about caregiving and the, um, the tremendous cost for caregivers of not uh, addressing the emotional buildup that they take on and the regret that they will have. Uh, particularly, that was the last thought, particularly the regret that they'll have in caring for a loved one. Right, and I want to talk about that, but you know, I just looked, I said I wasn't going to look at my notes today. Oh? But I did. Forgive I cheated. And here's what I just read. Self-care is essential. It's not an option. It's not being selfish. But in order to sustain our abilities to help others in distress, we have to take care of ourselves. Now, before we go any further, we all have part of us, we call it the committee, mm -hmm. that will give us a hard time. It doesn't mean you're crazy. It means you're human. 
And these voices get a little critical, sometimes very critical. And when it's time for self-care, those voices come up and say, you're being selfish. Look at the shape of the person or your loved one that you're taking care of. How could you even think of yourself at this time? That committee is giving you the wrong advice. Yeah, the there's there's just enough in there that hooks you, but it's not correct. It's not correct. And if you're exhausted emotionally, those voices get louder. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're psychotic and crazy. It means no. you're human. Yeah. So you got to be careful of that. It is not selfish. We're talking about self-care. But what, one of the things we're talking about is family members and what do they look like when they burn out. Mm-hmm. I have seen more of that. Um, in a lot of the, particularly the support groups um, for dementia and Alzheimer's and stroke victims and MS victims. And uh, what really is a tough one to sit through um, in some of these groups, and to tell you the truth, I don't. We do a better job with our groups at our institute. Um, although I know some outstanding um, care worker leaders. Uh, Connie Lorenz is one of them. We hope she'll come on our show. I do. It's the Redwood Caregivers Resource Center. They're excellent. Mm -hmm. Um, There's others that aren't. It's a mixed bag. But one of the things I've seen in the groups that aren't good support groups is the members that are so exhausted and so angry and bitter and feel trapped that they basically want the person they're taking care of to die. And the bitterness and the vile anger and it can be overwhelming to a group of 20 or 30 people and it's not okay it's their pain talking it's their pain talking but they've got to deal with their pain and they don't really know how the support groups aren't good enough to help them with that they need special help but one of the things is usually they're very angry and very vociferous about it and people that are more vulnerable and broken in those groups it affects them oh yeah and um, unless you have a good facilitator who really knows how to refocus. Uh, Connie Lorenz is one of the best. Um, what really happens is these people take oh, set the tone for the whole support group. And all you hear is the bitterness and the anger. And they're be- I can't wait for him to die. I can't wait for her to die. She's so miserable. She's this and that. So let me point out that venting is not dealing with your emotions. It absolutely isn't. And a lot of people feel, well, this is like therapy to just know it is hemorrhaging. It's emotional hemorrhaging. When that kind of thing is going on, that doesn't help anybody. No. In fact, it just keeps the wounds getting more. It's inflaming. Yes. You've got to do something about it. You've got to have somebody who knows how to refocus you, how to get that stuff diffused, because you have to go back in a loving, nourishing, and nurturing manner to the person who's so debilitated. Can you imagine people who carry this kind of bitterness? They go back. Can you imagine? It'd be kind of shocking about the whole thing. Like, what their presence is like when yeah. the person is distressed. So they feed the anger and bitterness off of each other, mm-hmm. and it turns out to be a lethal, toxic combination. So we've I've seen it too much of that. Yeah. Um, I, I was in one group, and I'll never forget it. And I heard all of this, and I was I was, no, I wouldn't say new, but, and I remember listening to it, and I, I said, well. And I swore to the people I would not lead it. I'm not. I went there as a no. participant, even though I've done thousands of groups. Our institute was doing two that day, but I said that's not what I'm here for. I got to a point of going. Well, I don't feel that way at all. I feel grateful and loving for my wife. And frankly, I'm grateful that she's breathing. I'm grateful that I, she, I can. She can hold my hand. I'm grateful that we can pray together and that she's just near us. I don't feel any of that bitterness. What I feel is heartbreak that I can't turn this around. 
but grateful for every day and every breath she takes. That's where I am. Mm -hmm. So when I see my wife deteriorate, you can imagine the heartbreak I feel. It does not turn to bitterness and hatred and better off that she's dead. Oh, no. We were talking to someone last week, and I won't say too much because I want to make sure that everyone has their privacy. We were talking to someone who, a good person, who was struggling with this, with resentment and anger at their partner that they were caring for. And talking in a way like they were starting to get fed up. And we pointed out to them, we asked, and I hope it was sensitively and and we came across that way, how do you want your relationship with this loved one to end? because it will end. Do you want to be where you are right now for the rest of your life with this person? Or do you want to find your way to something better? Mm. And that's the real challenge here. And Doesn't some, it seem like we've been talking to people, a lot of people about this lately? I think we've talked to people about this. Because there are, we are sensing the bitterness and the anger and the conflict. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'll tell you the truth. When some people are dealing with partners who have Alzheimer's and dementia, we're not talking about all of them being as sweet and, and loving and appreciative as my wife. They can be really harsh and abrasive and dangerous. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, emotionally, I can certainly understand people going, well, this isn't so much fun. I understand. But to go bitter and angry and hateful and uh, want the person to die, oh, no. We're talking about burnout. We're talking about destruction mm -hmm. and destructiveness to themselves yes, and to their partners that they're trying to help. So we're seeing that happen with professional caregivers. We're seeing it happen with family members. Does it have to happen? And the answer is no. It does not. It doesn't. And these people usually are so invested in their anger and bitterness that they, are in, they want to control. But the truth of the matter is if they could hear you and you can refocus them, and let them know that there is hope. Let them know that there is compassion. They can find the compassion. Um, it was it, now that I'm thinking about it, one of the most bitter people I know who's in one of these groups. I was able to do that with her because I knew deep down she was heartbroken and she loved her partner. And she is a she's not a bad woman, but she can be one hell of a bitter, controlling woman. And she was. In mm -hmm. fact, she. I don't even want to say more, but. Um, I remember saying to her, I know that you love and you care for your, for your partner so much, and I know you're a caring person. You don't mean this. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if it registered, but I was able to reach in to that place in her mm -hmm. because I've had thousands of hours of doing this and finding the key to the puzzle and the door. I know how to do it, not 100%, but I, I could do it better than most. I can do that, but to see it overwhelm support groups and to let the for the facilitators to let that for go no on. one to reach in and 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 draw people to something more positive and redirect is a mistake yeah and that kind of facilitator needs training and mentoring or they shouldn't do it um our nonprofit now we have a program we're going to train facilitators so they that this doesn't happen but it's happening too much there are some excellent outstanding facilitators uh that i've seen too we can redirect they take for a uh, for a our one of our mottos is we have serious solutions for serious problems. Well, I know some of these facilitators; they are able to do that. Yeah. This is a serious 
first-rate type of need, and it takes a very serious first-class facilitator, helper, supporter, leader to deal with them and to redirect. And anything less is not okay, not acceptable. Yeah. So that's the way I see it. And I have very high standards because I've been doing this for so long. And our institute and our nonprofit, we go for the highest standards because we do deal with serious problems. And now they're even more serious every day. And it's getting tougher, but so be it. If that's the calling in our lives, then we intend to reach as many people as we can with encouragement, hope, redirection, acknowledgement for the good work that's going on. And I see plenty of that going on out there. Um, we're just not talking about good intentions, though. We're talking about people who are able to deliver the goods and help people manage through these very, very difficult times, difficult emotional states, difficult biological, uh, physical deteriorations and pain, all of it. Um, I know some very, very good people. So I know it's out there and I know it can be done and we are going to do it. That's why we're doing this broadcast. We want it to reach as many of you as possible with encouragement and hope. You may not be able to turn the situation around. I sure can't. But can you manage? Can you grow from this and deepen and find what's really important in life and embrace that? And the answer is absolutely. And that changes the whole course of the rest of your life. Your whole outlook will never be the same again. And I'm not talking about bitter. I'm talking about appreciative and grateful for the things that really matter. Yes. And that's what can come out of this. I can attest to that. It's an ongoing battle, but that's that's where you can come out. Anyway, I hope this helps today. Um, it's not a light subject. I get it. But we're not talking. This is a part of life that's not light. And it may not seem fair. We had one man last week or two weeks ago. His wife had passed away. He took care of her. And he says it's not fair. And he was right. He's right. But it doesn't matter. No. He was carrying a very intensive form of grief. And we knew that we didn't want him to be self-destructive. But he's right. It's not fair. But it is an intrinsic part of life. Everybody's going to face something like it all, this. It, it comes for all of us. Absolutely. These hard times come for all of us. That Absolutely. was the, the motivation that we had behind putting this podcast together. That's correct. Are the hard times of life that will come for us. And how do we work through them in a way that enriches our lives and yeah. the lives of the people we love. Absolutely. I'm just looking at the producer signing up for signs that we have two minutes to close. Yes. And uh, and I have my spiel. I and I'll leave that in. to Jenny, who has got the most lilting voice. Somebody said this. It was the, Jenny's voice is so lilting. <laughs> <laughs> and I agree. She loves doing this, and she does a great job of it. And, uh -oh. uh, so I was glad to, somebody said that today, and I heard them talking about the broadcast, and they said that, and I agree with them 100%. Well, I, this is the, if I have a voice like that, this is the way I want to use it working with you, oh, doing this, you. because of the message that you have to share. I am so committed to getting it out and having people hear it. I, I'm I glad too. to be a part of that. Oh, so sweet. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I do want to take a moment today to uh, to let you know that, that the Survivor's Guide to Life is sponsored, brought to you today, by Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment. And uh, the website for that group, SCTT, is sctraumatreatment.org. They are a good organization. Very, non very, very strong nonprofit. And if you'd like to know about our show, 
uh, or Dr. Bernstein, our website is thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. You'll find all our podcasts there as well as some other information about us and our work. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. We are on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Uh, Right now we're in the studio at KPCA, and thank you to them for hosting us. Uh, We wish you all the best. Uh, And again, if you have any feedback for us, anything you'd like to share, please get in touch. And how to do that is at our website. Thank you for joining us. Please look forward to next time.